You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast Nordics, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I'm Chris Bennett, and I help connect businesses with tech freelancers, and I'm your host. Brilliant. Welcome, everyone. Um, welcome to all the listeners listening again to the Evolution Exchange podcast. Um, today, I'm with four very beautiful people from the lovely, rainy city of Copenhagen. And we're going to be discussing leading tech teams. So let's get some introductions. Um, I'm coming to you first, Lydia. So could you introduce yourself, please? Yes, of course. Hi, everyone. I'm super excited to be here. Uh, my name is Lydia Gaspar-Lukianchikova, uh, and I'm an engineering manager leading two tech teams at Worksum. Uh, Worksum is a scale-up uh, based here in Copenhagen, with offices as well in London and New York. Uh, we are an end-to-end solution for managing contingent workforce and freelancers. We uh, save companies basically a lot of time and money by automating all the processes involved and doing it all compliantly. Um, well, a bit about myself, uh, before joining Worksum and moving to Denmark, which is literally just three and a half months ago, I worked in two other countries, that being Finland and Romania, where I'm originally from, um, in companies small to large. Uh, and I started as a software engineer and moved into agile coaching, release management, and then team leadership as well. Uh, I'm very passionate about people, uh, improving and customizing processes that help for tech teams grow and perform their best and help them create value. Uh, and in my free time, uh, I love traveling a lot, which COVID hasn't been very helpful with, uh, but I'm really uh, eager to get back to that uh, now that things are opening up. What an introduction. That is great. Follow that, guys. Right. <laughs> yeah. I know for those who haven't prepped, yeah, the st- I can see them typing down some notes. Unfortunately, <laughs> Jesper, you're next, so you've not got time. <laughs> Jesper, tell us a bit about yourself. Who are you? To, and, and, and some more for the audience. Yeah. So, wow. How do I follow up on that? Uh, name is Jesper. Um, Jesper Jensen. I work at Deltec. I'm a senior engineering manager here, managing two teams, about 17 people. So Deltec is one of the global leading companies in providing enterprise software for project-based companies and businesses. About 3,200 people worldwide. We have an office here in Copenhagen serving a couple of the products in the portfolio. I've been with Deltec for about four months, five months now, uh, but I have a 10-year background in the finance industry, working at mortgage credit institutions and banks for most of my career. Started out in ops, uh, doing operations, moved into development, moved into lead developer, and then into chapter leading this beautiful Spotify organizational model. And at some point I went into full-scale management, which is where I am today. In my free time or spare time, whenever I have some of that, I do enjoy craft brewing uh, and creating my own beers. Also enjoy drinking them. And I also teach kids and adults self-defense on a weekly basis. Love that. You got both sides of it. You got the beer and the self-defense. Handy. Um, Okay, brilliant. Cheers, Fat Jesper. Not a bad follow-up, though. Really good, actually. Um, Mikhail? Yeah, tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, um, so yeah, I'm Mikhail Asin, also very glad to be here. Um, so 
I'm an engineering manager at SumUp. Um, so SumUp is a company like they're most famous for their uh, payment terminals. Uh, now they've grown into like a uh, bigger uh, solution that gives uh, like all-in-one uh, hardware and software solutions for businesses to grow um, and take care of basically everything that is not taking care of the business itself. Uh, so it's become a full-fledged uh, uh solutions for for businesses to um to make themselves bigger um so um, as i said i'm engineering manager i um manage about well uh, one big team um uh here uh, in copenhagen um i'm french um what else about me um a few things yeah um I'm autistic. Uh, I have ADHD. Uh, I'm also so an um, um, speaker for neurodiversity in uh, in companies. Um, in my free time, uh, I like um, I enjoy lock picking. I'm actually really good at it. Uh, also enjoy making tools uh, of metal. Um, I have a big workshop in my basement. Um, well, I like to have making also all sorts of stuff in metal um, um yeah that's me love that i remember the lock keeping thing now yeah first and only person that said that but it just blew my mind when you said it that's another podcast we'll talk about that another time um cheers for the introduction michael um, and finally uh michael yeah um tell us a bit about yourself yes thank you and thank you for the introduction and for uh inviting us all here. Um, so I work at 24, uh, which is a software agency where we build complex and business critical solutions. I work there as a, a partner and head of development. We are close to 40, 35 people, somewhere around that. And um, we have 20 to 25 developers. Um, so I have a, a big team that um, we try to distribute into smaller teams so we can work efficiently. Um, and as mentioned, we build complex business solution um, where we build from the website and all the way to integrations to ERP systems and, um, and what else uh, our um, customers need. Um, we love building softwares and we love being the, the nerdy guys uh, building all the fun stuff behind the scenes. Um, yeah, about me. Um, I actually uh, didn't plan on this career path. Uh, I was studying math and wanted to take a PhD. But while waiting for um, for the letter uh, of approval, I got an internship in 24 and I kind of got stuck there, um, but haven't regretted it ever since. And in my free time, I love playing music. I love um, solving puzzles and uh, doing nerdy stuff, I guess. Um, and I love beers as well. So uh, I hope we can have a beer sometime in real life. We've got, I tell you what, we've got an interesting night out. We've got an, a very interesting night out here. Yeah, we've got someone making the beer, other people drinking the beer, a few puzzles, a few locks, and hopefully we can travel while doing it. Um, so thank you for all the incredible introductions there. Really appreciate it. But let's get stuck in, right? So let's think about what we're talking about today, uh, which is leading tech teams. 
and you're all in positions where you've experienced it, you've faced those challenges, and hopefully you give some practical solutions or some interesting thought discussion around these. So as, as per usual, each person has brought one question and we're going to go around the four questions. So the first question was from Lydia and uh, she asked, how do you develop yourself professionally as a leader? So give us some context, Lydia, of why you asked this question um, at the start. Sure. Uh, this has been something very close to my heart lately. Um, it's because I've been growing a lot as a leader during my career by doing. I've always been thrown in a deep end of my positions and roles that I've had. And I've just had to like find a way to, to learn and uh, to identify opportunities to grow. And right now I'm, I'm trying to do the same for the people I lead. So empowering uh, employees in the company to do the same, identify the best way they can grow. Uh, and one of the reasons why I joined Worksome was because they seem to be a company uh, focused very much on the individual. The culture is focused very much on the individual. So I'm thinking a lot lately about um, how I can grow with the company, uh, opportunities that I have to shape the team and the way we grow because we are a scale up. Uh, and at the same time, uh, I feel that in here I have a chance to be mentored a bit more because of the awesome people that are leading this company. I found a lot of inspiration in that. So I asked this question because I'm trying to find new ways that I can grow and I can learn things. And I'm curious about what other ways you have found to, to improve yourselves as leaders and if any of you have any secret sauce for that. Okay, so let's go to Jesper. So how, how do you currently develop yourself professionally as a leader? Oh, I love this question. I'm, I don't think I have the secret sauce though, but uh, I can give it a go. Um, personally, I have crawled through a bunch of different management books, both newer ones and older ones. Now that mm, didn't necessarily provide the, the insights that I needed. So I've been utilizing um, peers in other companies that are not familiar with the setup and the situation and then we've been talking like abstract uh, problems and, and and cases and you know never mentioning names or anything but keeping it on the practical approach level getting some sort of sparring or you could even say leadership coaching from you know trusted peers who have done well uh, but I think if there is some magic sauce or secret spice to this, it has to be that you make it your own and you filter the inputs that you get. So there is so much knowledge out there, so many inputs, unless you can internalize it and make it your own and, and kind of build on that. I don't think uh, I don't think you really grow from it. Um, so that that's what I've been trying to balance. But uh, I think it's a good question. I think it's not that that easy. Yes, but. When you say um, you've introduced yourself to other leaders and other businesses, how does that happen? Is this people you know? Is this people you've met? How, how does it work? So I've I've primarily used people I've formerly worked with that then had either had management positions or had advanced into management positions. Uh, so people from my personal network. Um, I did consider professional networking, uh, but I, I did also like the personal touch here because uh, there is a bit of trust and, uh, and mutual acknowledgement of each other and, and you have history. So they might be able to give you small direct impact uh, or feedback based on you specifically. 
but I've used that a lot. And then I pick from the best leadership books of those that I read and try to build, you know, on top of that. Um, and then it's trial and error. It's being open-minded, I think. Mm. Just like you said, jumping in the deep end. <laughs> and when you say make it your own, what what do you mean by that? So for me, making it your own is that you could read a book about, I think there's this one, uh, Turn the Ship Around. It's actually a video, right? It's also a book from this submarine captain that inherits a horrible, horrible submarine. I see Nicholas nodding here. He knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, so he has some good concepts in there, but if I just go do exactly what he does, will it have the same impact? I sincerely doubt it will. So I have to do it in my way, my fashion that goes with my leadership style and the person that I am, which makes it more true to, to what I'm trying to sell and portray here. But also finding that path is, is also trying stuff out and figure out what works, what doesn't. So I think that's where the development uh, and growing yourself as a leader is is for me at the moment. Mikkel, have, um, have you watched the, the video on the submarine? Mikkel? Yeah, I believe I have. Um, I even sent it to my CEO at some point um, because I thought it was really brilliant. It's the drawed one, right? Where it gets drawed and they explain about uh, some different stuff. That's the one. Um, hey, I suppose it nicely, nice segue to you, Mikkel. So how do you develop yourself professionally as a leader? I think it's extremely difficult. And I think that uh, Jesper is touching point on this, that there are so many different branches and ideas and stuff you need to do or have to do or must do to become an excellent leader. And not only is there a lot, it's sometimes even contradicting itself. Um, so. And I think that's where you need to find out what is working for you, what is aligning with your own personality, leadership style, and the team you're with. Um, I think it's a lot about self-reflection, figuring out your own weaknesses and strengths, and then utilizing your own strength and um, find people to help you with what you're not good at. Um, then the networking is a big part for me. Um, it's I I feel I'm repeating what Jesper is saying because I'm networking with my friends and uh, mostly people from um, university who started uh, their job as well and got into management position and we then talk about what are the difficulties and what are the challenges and how can we handle them. Um, yeah. Perfect. Mikhail, what uh, what um what are you doing at the moment to uh, develop yourself professionally as a leader? Um, quite a few things. Um, I try uh, in general, well, to to watch how people that I know are very good uh, doing this job, how they're doing things, to get a general uh, idea of the, the direction that I should aim for. That being said, um, I think strongly believe that you only learn from your mistakes um, and for that purpose I try to always stay out of my comfort zone uh, never try well when it's uh, which makes sense to do so try not to take the easy way to do things um, and allow myself sometimes to make mistakes uh, and reflect upon them and grow from them um, there's something um, popular called the, the, the survivorship bias is when you only take into account the successes of other people 
you don't really learn anything because the what's really teaching is uh, what you can learn from failures, uh, the people who don't survive technically. And um, that's where two learning comes from. So I, I stay out of my comfort zone, allow myself to make mistakes um, and learn as much as I can from them. Thanks, Mikael. There's a lot there's a lot in here that um, needs self-reflection. You've all, I think you've all mentioned it. Does anyone like put stuff in the diary for times for self-reflection or does anyone have like a process for that? Sounds really, really organized, but does anyone have a process that could advise any of the listeners looking to reflect to how that how you do it? I think for me personally, I do a lot of reflection by by talking to other people, like some of you have mentioned. But sometimes it's not just with friends and people that I know, because there is a little bit of confirmation bias in that and lack of diversity. If we're only talking to people that we've you know studied with and you know our friends that are from our same group, we usually have the same views. So what I try to do is also validate sometimes my ideas or or try to challenge myself by talking a lot with the people in my team also so uh, we have one-on-ones very often I'm pretty sure that this is quite a common way of managing uh, tech teams uh, and in these one-on-ones a lot of I, I ask for feedback a lot and I put out there a lot of the things that we've tried as a team or that I brought to the team and and asking you know what do they think about it do, do they think that I could have done it better or we could have done it better so I try to to put myself into these situations quite often uh, for example I just had one of these very very good discussions with one of our great designers the other day and he gave me some very constructive feedback of how I've handled the situation in the team recently and that was awesome and unfortunately you don't get that type of feedback often enough but I love getting that type of feedback because it does help me grow Love so that. I can definitely chime in here. Um, I I couldn't agree more. I think you're 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 on point here. Uh, but on top of that, I don't keep a diary, but it keeps rolling in the head unless I get my I appreciate my gym time in the morning. So I get up at 4:30. I go to the gym for about an hour, hour and a half, do some weightlifting, and that's kind of like my space where I I process these things internally. So in the summary, when it's too hard to go to the gym, it might be going for a run, just a 5K or anything. Doesn't have to be fast, but just getting the body active with something that just leaves the mind peace to wander. Uh, um, I use that a lot, and then I of course use use my my team members uh, like you do. I think it's it's a great way to get the reflections also peers inside your own company uh, that you don't necessarily know too well is is a really good a good approach. Love that. I'll be honest, yes, but I only see one 4.30 in a day, and, and that's in about 10 minutes in the UK. I don't see the other one. <laughs> uh, that's incredible. So, yeah, so just going out for exercise, find that space where your mind just relaxes, and you believe that actually has a direct consequence on you developing professionally. I do. I do. Awesome. What a start. Some really practical stuff. Definitely recommend the sub submarine. Um, who can say we, you shouldn't be running as well? Do you know what I mean? Awesome. Some great tips there for our listeners. Um, okay, let's move on. Um, and we'll move to Jesper. Uh, Jesper's question was, how do we motivate our employees to be or continue to be self-driven? So Jesper, give us some context around the question and maybe your thoughts around it. Yeah, sure. So 
I think there's a premise here, an assumption that we want people to be self-driven. Uh, so in all the time I've been in tech, at least the last 10 years in the finance industry and now in, in, in this industry, uh, we have encouraged people to be self-driven and self-motivated. Um, so that's the premise here. Um, I haven't always seen people be that. And I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting problem because self-motivated and self-driven people will go investigate uh, new problem domains, find brilliant solutions on their own that you might never have thought of. Uh, they might also pick up new knowledge or solidify the knowledge they already have. Uh, but I think it takes nurturing to keep that going. I think that if you neglect it and just push on and you just push for more, more delivery power, more delivery speed and kind of forget this, I think it can it can wither away a bit. Uh, so I was curious about what you guys think in terms of this and, and what your thoughts are. We'll go to Ligia first. Sure. Um, yeah, I think this is a key challenge that we're facing as engineering managers or tech leaders in general, and I think it's a very important one. Uh, what I believe is that we need to build autonomy and trust. Uh, we are hiring top talents and we need to trust that they can do the job that they were hired to do and also give them the space to do that. Uh, and another thing regarding this is um, understanding the individual, what drives them. For example, a uh, very practical example that I try to do a lot in interviews, trying to understand what motivates uh, a technical person. So, for example, a software developer, uh, I find that there are some that are very motivated about the tech that we're building, uh, the product that we're building, for example, and the bigger picture of the company's impact on the world, uh, etc. And then there are some that are very motivated by the tech stack that we're working with. So they're very, very into that. They want to contribute to open source. They want to do a lot of cool stuff on the tech stack. And they're maybe less interested on the product impact. And of course, there are people, well, this is just a scale somewhere in between. It's not one or the other, but usually people lie either on one side or another. That's one important thing to understand about everybody in your team and trying to work with them through one-on-ones, through discussions, through building a career path that is very individualized to them, uh, to understanding what motivates them and for them to buy into your company culture and into the way you're doing things, for them to really find their place in there. I think that will always uh, keep them self self-driven and motivated. Um, Mikkel? Yes, very good point. Um, I totally agree that the thing about figuring out what the employees find motivating um, and interesting is a really good way to, of course, motivate people. It uh, makes so much sense. Um, we at our company, we also do um, try really to get um, the developers and everyone um, to be as self-driven as possible. Um, we think it's, I mean, we can produce so much more if the ones uh, that are on the floor knows all the technical details are also the ones taking the decisions. So we like to put a lot of uh, responsibility and accountability, but also a lot of freedom um, um, on everyone in our team. And I think actually it talks a bit into what uh, Mikhail said earlier about the um, allow people to fail. Uh, it's okay to make mistakes. And we really try to emphasize that, that it's completely fine that you 
try something out uh, as long as you do it on a reasonable um good foundation um but if if you have thought things through and you try something out and it doesn't work out then no one will get mad at you or if you just need to do something really urgently and you try to fix something then everyone will be happy because you at least tried um, and we really try to reinforce that that please just try to do something because doing something is nine out of ten times better than doing nothing um, how do you how do you reinforce it though apart from obviously saying it um and consistently staying saying it is there any like uh, steps you've got with the company that yeah. kind of proves it yeah i mean but the much of the way our project management is built up um, the whole uh, way we uh, project manage is built in a way that kind of um, supports this idea so the our developers working on some project are also their own project managers they talk directly to the end customers um, because we think that the information should flow as easy as possible and the developers are the ones with the most knowledge and only in case something goes wrong in the communication or something goes wrong with the project an account manager or a a senior leader will step in and help out the developers but we prefer that the developers have a really good relationship with the customer that they are building the solution for um, love it love it so full accountability full responsibility and that kind of shows them yeah that there's a level of trust there to go and make mistakes and do it in their own way i suppose um mikhail what are you thinking um, yeah, I'm gonna not gonna add uh, anything really original here. Um, I agree. With everything's been said. It's for me all about uh, autonomy and trust. Um, give the people who work with you the the space they need, the opportunities they need to get out of their own comfort zone uh, and uh, allow them to make mistakes, take responsibility, um, and um, actually. Um, help them grow as uh, as a person as, uh, as an employee and i feel like you know it's our jobs as engineering managers to give them the the perfect environment that they need to uh, to experiment outside of what they're uh, comfortable with doing I would like to maybe add another, if it's okay, <laughs> to add another yeah, point please, here. Please, please, yeah. uh, another way to retain, uh, to, I mean, to emphasize this and then enforce this or uh, create an environment where, where people can be self-driven and motivated is also to build processes and ways of working bottom up. So making sure that people are very involved in the way that we work. For example, in WorkSum, we are growing a lot. Our teams are growing uh, exponentially, actually, right now. And we are in the process of, of you know, having growing pains and uh, creating new processes and new ways of working. And we're trying to make sure that everybody's involved in that process. And I think that will also lead to people being uh, having much more buy-in uh, into the way we work and what we do here and also creating sustainable processes for the future and the future growth of the company i could not agree more to to everything that's been said i think that for me most of this boils down to some sort of a passion component to this so if there's passion for the trade passion for the work either be the tech stack or the product 
or exploring or failing or you know going out on a limb and doing something out of your comfort zone if you can nurture that passion and drive that passion and find that passion in passion in the employees i think you're off to a good start uh, so that's one of the things that i i generally try to do uh, it seems to me like you guys are thinking a lot along the same lines i'm i'm happy with that for myself of course yeah that i'm i'm not assuming crazy stuff good stuff um okay let's um move on to mikhail's question uh and mikhail's question uh was what's your interpretation of a servant leadership yeah so um i suppose mikhail's your chance to give us give us the reason why you asked the question and give us kind of maybe your interpretation um sure so yeah i asked this question because uh it changed the, the concept of servant leadership it changed the the way i saw uh the concept of leadership especially when i started um managing people um early in my career um i mostly uh, worked in very top-down hierarchical companies um and after yeah like five seven years of working as a as a developer uh that's when i was given myself the opportunity to lead teams and that's about around that time uh actually a few uh a year or two later that i understood the concept uh, i learned the concept of servant leadership and it changed uh my ways of doing it and um it made me realize like everything i had seen before was wrong and you know the consequences <laughs> of that huge <laughs> um and understanding this principle and mostly uh understanding what not to do as a leader is um is a great source of learning is a great resource of progress and self reflection and i think that having uh, an interpretation uh, that is you know it's you, it, at the end of the day it's your own interpretation of what it means uh because it's kind of an abstract uh concept um is important into understanding like how how do you uh how do you become a better leader how you become a better manager love it love it just people doing it wrong and then just doing it the right way that's the that's essentially what we're looking at but yeah let, yes but i'm going to come to you first yeah so my interpretation is very much along those lines so for me it's about instead of command and control from up top down it's more making sure you can you can bring and play the employees to the best point possible by supporting them by giving them freedom and autonomy by clearing out obstacles that are in their way which is without their reach to clear out it's a lot based on on coaching and guiding and and making room for growth uh, and exploration uh, and simply just going that extra mile to see if you can lift up people even if they don't need lifting just go ahead give it a try and see if you can give them a little boost because a little goes a long way if if you practice servant leadership i think uh, uh, yes but have you always um practice servant um leadership or is it a journey that you've been on how's it worked for you so 
when I had my first manager job, that's only two years ago. Uh, the, fir- the the previous three leaders I had before that practiced servant leadership. Before that, I've been in companies with the command and control structure and a lot of other funny structures. And I tend to really like and grow within the servant leadership roles, which is what brought me to where I am today. So for me, that was a natural option and a natural approach to leadership. Um, so yeah, I've always practiced this, but you know, you can always learn and get better. Mm. Love that. Mikkel? Yes, um, really good thoughts on this, and I'm happy that you brought it up, um, because to be honest, I had to look it up, um, what servant leadership meant. Uh, I hadn't really um, um, stumbled upon that term before, um, but I luckily when I read about it, I was uh, along the same lines and um, of how my leadership is. Um, and I remember a few years back, I had a colleague um, asking me if he could work from home some more days. It was before COVID um, because he was much more efficient when he was working from home. Uh, he could get much more done. The thing was, he was a key uh, knowledge bank for everyone at the company. And that's also why he wanted to work from home because he always got disturbed uh, during his work from other people having questions. And I sat down and had this talk with him um, and tried to explain to him that by him being at work and getting distracted, of course it's annoying for him, but if he can lift everyone else 5-10%, the overall output is significantly higher. Um, and he bought into that. Uh, I mean, I uh, I said it very sincerely as well. I think it was uh, the right thing. But when I read about the servant leadership, it really resonated with that thought that you should try to empower your team and help your team be as productive and as happy as possible help them out so i was very happy to see that we are actually practicing servant leadership uh, at 24 as well and and mikkel um great to hear you prepared for the podcast by the way (laughs) thank you I, i suppose is that person still happy though yeah, is that person still, uh, obviously, they're taking a lot of responsibility. Are, are they still happy for years on in terms of working in the office rather than remotely? Uh, yes, I definitely think so. Um, at least he's still at the company. Uh, have been here for five years, I think, uh, mm-hmm. close to five years, which is a lot, at least, um, to me and uh, maybe when we get into my question uh, we get to talk more about that but so yes um, the short answer is yes I, I believe so awesome and if he's listening well done you sir um Lydia yeah what are your thoughts around uh, servant leadership yeah I think everybody has brought up uh, the key concepts of what servant leadership is uh, I can give a bit of background for me personally I moved uh, from software development positions to release management and agile coaching. So I went a lot into in the deep end, let's say, of agile and lean uh, concepts and processes. And that's how I got acquainted with servant leadership. It's a very big part of what agile is. Um, And I think it has become like a core part of my role, uh, both as a project slash release manager in the past and now as an engineering manager. Because I truly believe that I am there to remove impediments from my team, uh, to help make them more efficient and and provide help them provide value as fast as they can without sacrificing the quality of their work. 
Um, and I think uh, this also means uh, if I manage to empower them uh, to make their own decisions and to work the best way they can, it also helps me uh, to make space for my leadership to be more strategic, to be focused on the big picture and, and into this removing of impediments and challenges uh, and more into the communication part uh, and let's say resource investigation part uh, of, uh, of the company. Um, and. Um, I also see sometimes myself as a, this small detective, because uh, you, you mentioned this really great example, Mikkel, uh, about what happened uh, with this one person in your team. And I think the first thing I thought about that I would have done, I think, in that situation would have been to try to find out the root cause of that problem. And the root cause was not the fact that the person didn't want to be at the office. It was the fact that they were interrupted. So my way of probably dealing with that situation would be, OK, now let's see why they're interrupted and let's go a bit deeper into maybe there's something we can do as a process or the way we are working in the company to solve the root cause problem so that he is not interrupted all the time when he's at the office, so making things better for everybody. So I think that's an example of how servant leadership works. I'm there to serve my team and to build you know, everybody up and to find good solutions for their problems. I bet you everyone, everyone listening, yeah, has got this exact scenario within their team. Now, there's someone who is a hotbed of knowledge, domain knowledge. Cannot we can't lose this person, yeah? But they're getting distracted all the time, and they're getting annoyed. And you're like, oh, but I kind of like that you're being asked the questions. Yeah, I think every engineering manager, including everyone on this call, is nodding their head. Mikkel, I think you had a point though. Yeah, I, it was just, I mean, you are so spot on. Uh, and that was actually exactly what we did. Uh, we built our own internal wiki that he uh, set up so everyone could contribute. And every time we had these multiple questions, it got put into the wiki so that everyone could help each other out going forward. So, yeah, I think knowledge sharing is, is so important at team level. But all of these solutions, you know, for everybody listening, this is not necessarily, uh, you know, a solution that you can just put on every situation of a similar type. I think it's very, very based on the individual of the processes you have, of the way you collaborate, for example, with the product part of your company, uh, with the engineering process and the tech stack, the you know individual way of working of that person. So there's a lot of things to take into consideration. That's why I find this job so exciting, because you can never just say, I can find a paradigm or a principle and just apply it, uh, you know, copy paste to the situation and we'll solve everything. I've done that at the beginning. That's how I learned a lot of stuff. I just came in with this theoretical knowledge of everything I've learned and read and tried to start, you know, doing it by the book and then, uh, you know, hit walls and over and over again and learn from it. Like you've mentioned before, like, you know, failing at things. Yeah. It, it would have been easier though, wouldn't it, Lydia? Yeah, if it just oh, got, if you could so copy nice. and paste it. <laughs> Do you mean? But I think that really talks into what Jesper said in the beginning about there are so many managing styles, so much knowledge, but it all needs to fit the current situation, the reality you find yourself in and make it work um, for you and your team. Love that. We're moving uh, nicely here, actually. Um, so we're going to come to the last question, actually, um, and it's Mikkel's. Um, and Mikkel's question was, what can you do as a leader to retain talent? Um, something very passionate to me, so I'd love to hear your thoughts, Mikkel. So give us, obviously, the context of why you asked the question um, and maybe some insights to, into what you do. Yes, 
Um, so we uh, originally came from a, uh, a business model where we took in new employees all the time and we didn't want the skill level or experience to matter much so that we could have a huge turnover. Um, and that was really hard, I'd say. It's, uh, it's difficult when people leave and it always creates this weird atmosphere. Um, and as our business model changed from being very project-minded to be more product-minded, it became more and more important to actually retain uh, the talented people for their experience and their uh, knowledge. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, our developers talk directly with the customers, bringing up this relationship. So now as we keep customers on for a long time, we want our developers to talk to our customers and have this knowledge about our customers and have this relationship. And if we keep on changing uh, developers, we kind of lose that intimacy with the customer. Um, so it has become more and more important for us to retain talent. And one obvious uh, thing uh, is, of course, the salary, um, to have a competitive salary. But I just think the market is so difficult right now um, because as a software engineer, you have so many options uh, to to go to other places, try something new. Um, so I think it's really, really difficult and I would love to, to solve it. If everyone nails this question, then I'm out of a job, by the way, so don't answer too well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I've got bills to pay and energy bills in the UK are going through the roof. So uh, no, I'm only joking. Um, Mikhail, let's come to you first. So what can you do as a leader to retain talent? Um, there is a famous quote that comes to mind from Richard Branson train your people well enough so they can leave, treat them well enough so they don't want to. And that's the important part, like treat people well. Um, Mikhail mentioned salary. It's also, I think it's also about uh, making sure that they are being listened to. Um, I spent um, a fixed recurring amount of time uh, in my schedule to make sure that uh, I get to discuss one-on-ones with everyone uh, I collaborate with. Um, it can be uh, a lot of time, especially when you have big teams, but I, I believe that it's time well spent, um, making sure that their career also is advancing in the way they are hoped for. Uh, do they want like to be more expert? Do they want to, uh, to move toward uh, more, more responsibility, more, more, uh, more leadership? Uh, taking all that into account, uh, making sure that their um, specific needs, like you know, every people is different. Uh, making sure that just that they're happy at the workspace, that every need they might have is covered, and um, yeah, that's basically it. I mean, just treating people well on top of making sure that they they, they can grow as uh, not just as employees but as people. Make sure that they feel always welcome, that they uh, they feel included, um, and yep. Yeah. Just every, make everything you can to, to make sure they don't want to leave. Mikhail, how often are you having those? I don't know, pe people are probably thinking, um, do you have to have a monthly conversation? Yeah, obviously you're trying to talk but to even them. That much... even, even that depends. Even that depends. It's one of the first questions I ask, actually. Um, how often do you think you, do you feel you need these meetings? Uh, 
you should do you prefer weekly do you prefer bi-weekly you prefer monthly it actually varies a lot between the people i work with and um and again it's about listening to them uh be uh, there for them never make sure that they never feel uh, alone or excluded or that or even bored at their at their job um and um yeah a lot of listening so you so you actually is that um and is that when you hire someone you say right how often should we speak yeah or is this a continued conversation throughout their time within your case sum up it's one of the one of the questions I ask usually after I recruit them. Um, but before that, also I also make sure that they understand that they can reach me at any time. Um, I'd rather if I have, I don't know, a meeting that comes, uh, a big meeting at other time, at the same time, someone uh, from a team uh, really asks me to talk to me like right now. I'd rather prioritize that. Um, being close to my team, making sure that they're happy and that uh, their needs are cared for and, they're, and they feel listened to at any time is one of the most important things to me. Well, I appreciate the team not um, calling Mikhail during this um, podcast um, because I, I'd like to have him on for at least the next five, ten minutes. Um, but no, awesome, love that. Uh, Lydia, what can you do as a leader to retain talent? Yes, it's it's a very interesting question, and I think this is the one from from all of them that I've thought about, and I came up with a couple of things that are I think very interesting and important. Um, so one of them is you have to be transparent. So being transparent about everything that's happening in the company. For example, you're talking about one-on-ones and everything, and you know your schedule. Uh, I go to daily meetings with my team, and I tell them I they know everything that I'm doing. I'm even if it's like a meeting with the CEO or I'm doing this. I, everybody knows I'm in the podcast today, so I'm very very transparent about my schedule and about everything that I do. So that's I consider myself equal to everybody else in my team, and I'm trying to be very open about everything that I do because our work sometimes is not that tangible. So it's very hard sometimes for other people to understand what you do. Um, that's one thing. But um, I think everybody has to buy into the culture to help drive it. And, and the culture will then grow around this if people care about what they do. That's one thing that it's very important that people buy into that. Um, but we should also care very much about the employee journey. And I think that we are now in a very interesting time because of the pandemic and everything. I think the nature of work is changing when we talk about evolve the way work is evolving in the world right now. And I think we need to start learning about how to support fluidity when it comes to building processes in a world that it's more and more flexible. And now the question that I or like the challenge that I want to put out to all of you is I think it's not only about retaining talent. Uh, it's not only about the long term anymore. Um, and in WorkSum, we're trying to be focused more on empowering and making employees feel that they can give the most value in the short term. Because we live in a time where people have many jobs in their life. Uh, for example, Gen Z in particular try a lot of different things. Uh, we are not in a situation anymore where people have two or three jobs in their whole career. We're talking about changing jobs often, and a lot of young people do that nowadays. Um, so it's important to build a culture where you can have, for example, few freelancers, full-time employees, all performing the best they can and staying happy in their job. So I'm thinking that this is like the challenge that we're facing right now. And for me personally, I'm thinking a lot about how can we uh, as engineering managers in our companies uh, 
think about building this fluidity and flexibility in the way we work, uh, in the processes we have, while still retaining all those other elements that we need in order to perform our jobs the best way, to give the best value, have the best throughput we can. And I think this is like one of the biggest challenges, at least that I'm thinking about. Uh, and I'm approaching building processes in the company that I'm working for right now with the teams that I'm working with in a customized way, thinking about uh, the fluidity and flexibility of work. Love that. So you're almost saying like, rather than focus on retention, focus on everything before retention and retention will end up being better by default. Yes, exactly. And sometimes it's not just about retaining. Retaining someone at any cost might not actually be the best thing either for you nor for them. So sometimes people might give the best they can. You're a part of their journey. Maybe you're just a stepping stone in the journey of their career. And being transparent about that and honest about that and not making that a big problem might be something to think about. And then it's about how do you build processes and ways of working that can support that. That's where the things are getting a bit difficult or maybe not that easy to address. But I think it's very important that we open up this conversation worldwide. Yeah. I don't think many people are talking about it like this, Lydia, to be honest. Even mm. even I've, I went to a slush in Helsinki pre-pandemic and uh, there was um, someone speaking from uh, San Francisco and the rule of thumb, if it's happening in San Francisco, it will happen in the UK and Sweden in five, ten years. Yeah, or something like that. It might be a bit shorter now. And she was saying that the average average tenure of a software engineer over there was 18 months, 18 mm -hmm. months. And she was happy with that. That was like, a OK, we can deal with that. And I suppose the, the challenge is tr trying to extend that is so, so difficult. Maybe just to, trying to get the most out of that 18 months is a better way of looking at it. Um, maybe a different podcast altogether <laughs> to be honest, yes, exactly. to that. Um, <laughs> exactly yeah yeah yes but what what are you thinking what what um what can you do as a leader to retain talent oh man um i think there's a lot but i think it is very much on point i i agree quite a lot i think the transparency and the nature of recognizing that that people come and go and 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 people change roles change you mature you grow I think it's I think it's a really good approach. I practice that myself. So when people choose to go somewhere else instead of, you know, going quietly, I it's almost calls for celebrations, right? Because man, you're that good that somebody else were really hungry for you and they lured you out there. Congratulations, mate. I really applaud that. Uh sorry that we couldn't give you enough, but hey, you've been here for a while, you did good. So that that's the kind of approach that I really like. Um and I actually think that also feeds into retention in some way because it becomes more natural, less of a heavy burden. So it becomes more fluent, like Lydia referred to. Um, if I have to think back through my career, so the place I stayed the longest, what made me stay there the longest? Uh, I had one manager, my first manager in, in, in IT, actually. He uh, came up to me one of the first days and said, so we need to figure out how to evolve you as a person and as a tech, uh, as a tech guy, um, because you're not going to leave this company worse off than you got in here. And if we don't do anything against your skills, your personal capabilities, you'll be worse off than when you joined here. Even though you're good now, you will wither over time. So he put in like efforts to make sure that we regularly 
put in challenges in terms of other work, work experiences, pitching in on heavy projects, doing training on the side, courses, whatever was working with the context that we had. He really went all the way to make sure that he did that for his employees and he leveraged off that to bring them, you know, further and further uh, to the capacity that people wanted and, and could. So I, I've been trying to practice the same thing. Uh, you know, we all have boundaries in terms of, of budgeting and how much courses we can shoot people at and conferences and all that. But there is, if you're creative, there is a lot of ways where you can grow people. Love that. Yeah, no, really nice. Um, very nice uh, summarization of that. Um, just got me thinking, I think the next, po next podcast is how do we convince CEOs and human resource departments to stop giving us retention targets? <laughs> and I sat there, I was like, yeah, maybe that's the one we need to discuss. Last <laughs> moment from all of us on that. <laughs> yeah, I know, but you're, you're all saying it in one way or another. You're saying, let's let's focus on the person, let's listen to the person. Yeah, rather than focus on the end result, uh, which can offer drivers down the wrong things, just giving money for the sake of giving money rather than listening to the person that they just want to work at home on a Monday. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, okay, I suppose um, let's. Um, has anyone got anything else? Any other points they would like to say on what can you do as a leader to retain talent? Is there anything we've missed? No. Awesome. There's maybe uh, maybe oh. one thing that I could still add, uh, if I can, uh, even though this probably is also like could be a podcast on its own. Mm. I think we're, um, one other thing that is important for us, I think, as managers uh, is uh, culture, we're cultural ambassadors for, for our companies and for our teams. And uh, another thing that we should try to practice is inclusive leadership. And I feel that that is actually very much demanded by top talent in our industry. So being able to be inclusive, and when I talk about talk about diversity, uh, and that's a big issue uh, in tech specifically, and I'm not only talking about diversity of gender or or you know skin color or whatever everything else that isn't there, but I'm talking about diversity of thought. So I've been thinking about that a lot, and I actually try very hard to make sure that the teams that I have, or if I try to build teams, or if I try to recruit people, that I make sure that uh, we are having that diversity of thought in the team. I think that also challenges people to be better and they feel you know, the, the work that they do is better. Uh, if you just surround yourself with people that are exactly like you, uh, you're not going to go very far and innovation will suffer very much in your company. Uh, and I think that that's something that I have a personal, on a personal level, feel like I'm responsible for to promote this point of view of diversity of thought, um, especially because I'm a woman in tech and there's not that many of us. Uh, and um, it's it's a very important uh, topic. So I just want to bring that up. And I think a lot of people do think about this nowadays. And I think it's an important uh, an important driver in retaining talent as well. Oh, you've made it really difficult for me to finish the podcast because you probably really, it, it, it's honestly, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, honestly, we, we hear this more and more often that even companies who are managing to sort out the um, the gender gap um, and um, increase the amount of races within the company, um, this is still an issue. It, it stems, a lot of it stems from interviews and just picking who you like rather than people who you don't like. Um, and that's just very primitive answer on a very, very 
difficult situation but you are right it's a different podcast and we can't can't conquer all the questions uh, in this hour um so what we'll do is leave it uh, here um and have a think about how we explore that question at another time so thank you Jasper thank you Ligia thank you Mikel and thank you Mikhail